Good morning. Welcome to church. For all you that are joining us online, welcome to you. Glad to see everybody. My name is Rick Tillman, and I am uh, on the teaching team here at Rolling Hills. And um, this week, our lead pastor, Bill Town, <clears throat> his wife and some other folks are all headed to Turkey. So they're doing a study trip to Turkey. So remember them in your prayers that they would have a, a wonderful, safe trip and have great fellowship with each other and with God and that they will come home safe. <clears throat> so <clears throat> we are going to continue this morning our study in Genesis. And if you hear last week, uh, Pastor Bill introduced us to a very important person, Abram, later known in Genesis as Abraham. God changed his name. So Abram, Abraham, same. <clears throat> and this was a very special man because God chose Abram uh, to begin to, to, to bring a nation of people that he would call his chosen ones. So from Abram came this amazing nation of Israel. And then from Israel ultimately was born Jesus Christ, the Savior, the Son of the world, so that every other man, woman, and child of every other nation that put their faith and trust in Christ could be saved, their sins forgiven, and have eternal life. And all of that began with this man, Abram. <clears throat> so we want to take a look at uh, this man's life, and we will over the next couple of Sundays, and we will see at times just be amazed at this man's faith just the things that he did and how he trusted God. But then there are times that they will probably be amazed at some of the bonehead decisions he made, you know? I mean, which is kind of encouraging because it's kind of like he may be a great man of faith, but he's also very imperfect, uh, proving that great men and women of faith are imperfect too. We're imperfect people following a perfect God. And that's what Abraham was. So we're going to pick it up in chapter 13. But before we do, I wanted to just retrace quickly the highlights of this chapter 12. Because in doing so, we kind of get a good base for what happens in chapter 13. Okay? So I want to do that. So um, Bill taught us last week and went into depth. And I'm sorry if you're at home, you're seeing the map, but you're not seeing my little red dot. In fact, there we go. Um, but Abram was born here in Ur, and that's where he lived with his family, Ur of the Chaldeans, and they were a polytheistic people. They worshiped many different gods. And as he lived there with his family, his father, Terah, at some point moved them up to Haran, up here. And so there they lived for a while until Terah died. And then a very significant thing happened there. There, the living creator God appeared to Abram. And he asked Abram to leave his country, his family, and his people and go to a land that he would show them. That's a big ask. But along came with, came with it uh, big promises. God Almighty had promised Abram, go to this land because I'm going to make from you a, a nation will spring forth from you. A nation of people, I will give you blessings and through you, uh, all the nations of the peoples of the world will be blessed, and I will make your name great. So those are some pretty big promises. So Abram believes God, and he leaves Haran. He packs up his wife, Sarai, and his nephew, Lot, 
and all of their herds and their herders and people, and they, they traveled down toward the land of Cana, and they crossed over at the, the right about here, the uh, fort of Jabbat. Where is that up there? Yeah, right about down here. The fort of Jabbat. And they came into the land of Cana there. So a little bit closer look. Get our next map up. All of these cities and places that Aaron, uh, that uh, Abram went to, it's amazing how archaeologically we discovered so many of these cities. So at the fort of Jabbat, here they cross over here, came in here to the city of Shechem. Now, the city of Shechem, very significant things happened there. Here is where God renewed the promise he'd given to Abram back in Haran. And he says, um, God appeared to Abraham. The Lord appeared to Abram and he said, to your offspring, I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. So Abram builds this altar to God after God appeared to him. Now, altar was a very significant thing. An altar was a rig raised platform. There are many different kinds, but for Abram, it would have been a big raised platform of stone and, uh, and uh, mud and clay, lifted up platform. And there at the altar, people came and, and consecrated themselves. And so after the Lord appears to him and renews his promise, Abraham wants to consecrate himself, that is, dedicate himself to the God that had made these promises to him, to the worship him and to follow him. And that's what he did. And there were a lot of different altars around the place, but um, Abraham made sure he built his own altar because this was an altar to the one true God who had called him to the land of Cana. So, uh, next, uh, he travels down to a place called Bethel, okay? Get our map back up here. He goes from Shechem down to Bethel, and here another significant thing happens. Here it is said that he calls on the name of the Lord. He builds another altar. He calls on the name of the Lord. Now, when you're calling on the name of the Lord, you're inviting him down into your life, asking him for wisdom and direction and guidance in your life. And that's what he's doing. It said, uh, historians tell us that if you want to follow Abraham's footsteps, you just follow all the altars he built. He's, everywhere he went, he was building an altar to God and worshiping him, calling on his name. But then something, something happens that changes things. There's a famine in the land. And because of this famine, he heads south and heads for survival down into Egypt. And in Egypt, he makes some really tragic decisions. And if you were here last week, Bill went into this uh, in depth. But um, there he, out of fear and panic for his life, he uh, asked his wife to pretend that she is his sister, not his wife, because he was afraid that Pharaoh would kill him in order to have her. So she goes along with this ruse, and Pharaoh does take her into his harem. Well, this is not God's plan. God promised Abram that he would bring forth from him a great nation, and that was coming from Sarai. He couldn't do that if she's locked into the harem of Pharaoh. So God sends all these plagues, the scripture says severe plagues, into the house of Pharaoh, and Pharaoh figures out what's going on, and he's, he's super incensed. He calls Abram in and goes, man, what, what have you done to me? You know, what, telling me this was your sister? Here's your wife, take her back. 
and then pack up all your stuff, your people, your tents, your hurts, and get out of Egypt before I mess you up. <laughs> Hebrew word for mess you up is, I don't know what the Hebrew word for mess you up is. <laughs> you know, I just kind of made that up because it sounded cool. But that, that is what he meant. That was the import of his message. Get out of town. So, Abram packs up everything and gets out of Dodge, gets out of Egypt. Okay? But there was a silver lining, and we pick it up right here in chapter 13, 1, when it says, So Abram went up from Egypt to the Negev, back through the Negev desert, with his wife and everything he had. And Lot, his nephew, went with him. Abram had become very wealthy in livestock and in silver and in gold. That was the silver lining that happened in Egypt, I guess. So they leave Egypt and they travel to the Negev Desert and where do they go? See, this is significant. Uh, Abram, he's coming off a real personal failure. See, out of his fear and panic of Pharaoh, he basically gave his wife away. And got kicked out of Egypt when it was discovered. So he he brought this embarrassment and this shame on him, his wife, and his entire family. So now they're trudging from Egypt back up. And what, what, what does he do with this kind of personal failure? What do you do when you have a personal failure? And we all do. You know, if you're visiting with us this morning, look around. There are no perfect people here. Just a bunch of sinners that are forgiven by God. But sometimes in our life, we can become so discouraged. Sometimes um, the God we're following, we, he brings something into our life, lets something happen to us that we just don't understand. We try to reconcile that with a God that loves us and it just doesn't make sense. And so we blame God for that. We get discouraged. Other times, we do something that we never thought we would. You know, we behave in a way that is so shameful and we just thought that's not something I would never do and yet we do that and we are so angry at ourselves and we were so, we're so filled with grief and sorrow. We blame ourselves and we feel a million miles away from God. Blame ourselves. And then there's sometimes that we blame others. You know, we, we uh, take a look at some Christians that are in the church and it does something and they behave in such a way that we go, if that's what Christianity is all about, if that's what following God looks like, I don't want any part of that. And whether we're blaming God or blaming ourselves or blaming others, the temptation is just to throw our hands up and walk away from the faith. I'm done. I had a friend tell me not too long ago after spending years with him, discipleship groups with other men, call me up and say, oh, I'm done with Christianity. It's not working for me. I gotta try something else. And he left town. You know, I hope if you're in that place, if you're watching this morning on TV or if you're here this morning, I hope that you will do what Abram did. Abram, he went back to Bethel. 
to the place he had a great thriving relationship and trust in God. It says, from the Negev, he went from place to place until he came to Bethel, to the place between Bethel and Ai where his tent had been earlier and where he had first built his altar. There, Abraham called on the name of the Lord. He came back to the altar and he renewed his faith in the God who had promised him a blessing and land and a nation. And some of us need to kind of come back to the faith that we once believed in. We just need to remind ourselves of the promises God has given us. We tend to forget those so easily. We need to remind ourselves of promises like 1 John 1, 9, where God tells us if we confess our sins, that he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. As far as the east is from the west, God has removed our sins from us. He has presented us holy and blameless before him because of what Christ did on the cross. Nothing, 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 nothing can ever separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, Romans chapter eight. We need to remind ourselves of these promises and be pulled back into God and not not let the blame of him or or others or ourselves get in the way of that. Sometimes these promises we know and we just need to remind ourselves of them. Sometimes we don't know them. And so if you're there this morning anywhere and you just need help remembering what some of these promises are, see these and dozens more like it are so encouraging. You know, I encourage you. Just reach out. You know, you could call the church and say, I want to talk to somebody about the promises of God. And from the elders to the staff to many of the people, many of you would love to sit down with somebody and just help them reconnect with the promises of God and renew their faith. I so encourage you to consider that. That's what Abram did. He renewed his faith and he began to call on the name of the Lord again, worshiping and following God. And it was a good thing, because as life would have it, another crisis was just around the corner. Returning to the scripture, it says, now uh, Lot, who was moving around with Abram, he also had flocks and herds. But the land could not support them while they stayed together, for their possessions were so great that they were not able to stay together. And quarreling arose between Abram's herders and lots. And the Canaanites and the Perizzites were also living in the land at that time. You know, interesting that the writer of Genesis throws that last line in, that the Canaanites and the Perizzites were living in the land. He wants us to know that Abraham and Lot weren't the only ones there. Okay, this land was inhabited before they even got there. And the Many of the Canaanites, because they were there before them, they probably had most of the prime real estate. And with the ever-increasing herds of Lot and Abram and their ever-increasing households, it was getting crowded. And this was turning into a crisis of resources that didn't necessarily threaten their lives, but it certainly threatened their prosperity. Something had to be done. So Abram is the first to initiate a solution. And he says, Lot, 
let's not have any quarreling between you and me or between our herders, your herders and mine, for we're close relatives. Is that the whole land before you? Let's part company. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. You go to the right, I'll go to the left. Now this was a very generous offer on the part of Abram, especially for that day and time. See, this was a patriarchal society in the ancient Near East. If you were the patriarch, the oldest living male, your word was law. What you said went, no questions asked. Abram was perfectly within his right to say, here's what you do, Lot. You take some of your herds and you sell them off. Stay in the clan and we'll survive better. Or, Lot, you take your stuff and go over there where I tell you to go. He was, that would, that would be the norm. That would be the protocol of the day. But Abram comes to Lot and says, you choose? See, the scripture tells us when Abraham left Egypt, he was really increased in wealth and gold and silver. And then later it says, and Lot also had tents and herds and stuff. Abraham was absolutely number one. What is driving this decision and this solution? We know character is a great revealer. Our conflict, rather, is a great revealer of character. If you want to know what somebody's made of, watch how they handle conflict. Look at the decisions they make when there's a lot at stake. And this conflict was about to reveal a great contrast in the character of Abram and Lot. Earlier in Abram's life, when he was in Egypt, he was driven with fear and panic for his life because he was afraid of, a, of a Pharaoh. But now he was a different man. Now he had renewed his faith, was walking back on God and calling and believing in his promises. So now he wasn't acting out of fear or panic. He was operating from a position of faith. What does faith look like then? in the midst of a conflict or a crisis, and you're not panicking, but you're demonstrating faith. Look at this. This is how Abram's faith was demonstrated. Three ways. In humility, first of all, by not demanding his rights. Like we've said, he, he would be perfectly within his right to call the shots, but he humbled himself. That was very difficult in that day to actually humble yourself and put you like under your nephew Incredible humility. His priorities was, was peace. He put peace in his family over the prosperity. And his concern was the needs of others. He put the needs of others, Lot, his family, and his people, he put their concerns over his. See, he could offer Lot the choice of the whole land because he knew in his heart, he believed in the promises of God that God had already given him all the land. It was all his and nothing was gonna jeopardize that. So when he was confident in that position that God had his back, it was easy for him to give Lot the choice. Look at how Abram's actions line up with what the scripture tells us in Philippians 2, 3. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. 
Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. And you can only do this if you believe that your heavenly Father is watching over you. When conflict or a crisis comes into your life, you will be driven by either fear and panic or by faith in the promises God has given you. Promises like God knows everything that's going to happen to you in your life. The maker of all of the, the universes and the galaxies knows on this little tiny planet, each time a sparrow, Jesus said, each time a sparrow hits the ground and dies, the Heavenly Father knows about it. That the very hairs on your head are numbered. Okay? And you are so much more valuable than these sparrows. So we don't have to be afraid. Don't be afraid. God knows exactly what's going on. He says he'll never leave you, never, ever forsake you. Your heavenly father, he knows what we need before we even ask, the scripture tells us. God's at work to, to pull everything that happens to us. He works together for good for those that love him and are called according to his purpose. God, our heavenly father, is not surprised. He's watching over us and he's got our back. Whether we understand it or not, that's the promises of scripture. And when you believe that, when you believe in those promises and many, many more like it, it affects the decisions you make and the peace you have when you come into conflict or a crisis in your life. Lot's reaction was quite a bit different. You know, you, you might think that Lot would say, oh, no, wait a minute. Uncle, please. You're the patriarch of the family. Um, you took me in. You helped raise me. Uh, you taught me everything I know. Everything I have is because of you. No, you make the choice. I will take what's left. But that wasn't his response at all. Lot looked around and he saw that the whole plain of the Jordan towards Zoar was well watered like the garden of the Lord. Garden of the Lord refers to, what garden do you think that might be? Eden, yeah. Like the Garden of Eden. That's what this land looked like to him. The land of Egypt. Now this was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Okay. So Lot chose for himself the whole plain of the Jordan, and he set out toward the east. And the two men parted company. Abram lived in the land of Cana, while Lot lived among the cities of the plain, and he pitched his tents near Sodom. Now the people of Sodom were wicked and were sinning greatly against the Lord. What a contrast. You know, Abram's motive was peace and his priority was his family and his concern was for the welfare of others. Lot's faith was pretty much only in himself. You know, his priority was his prosperity, and his concern was for his prosperity. So he took the best for himself. Now, you, know, you would think, and we have every reason to believe, that Lot, while traveling all this time with his uncle, uh, that he would be aligned with his uncle's faith. You know, that he knew about this 
one true God who had promised all these things. And he was there when the altars were built. He was there when everybody was worshiping and following. So he knew about this. But there's a difference in giving intellectual assent to something and calling on the name of the Lord. Nowhere is it written about Lot that he called on the name of the Lord. He may have believed in him intellectually, but he wasn't inviting him into his life and trusting him for guidance and wisdom and direction. That became evident by his choices. This, um, the land was described again as being like the Garden of Eden and um, here, here's the area he was talking about. I think I've got a map for there. I just want to see that. So this land was, and I know this map's kind of an assault on the senses. There's just a lot here. What I want you to see is this bottom area here, okay? And here, down at the bottom, was where a lot of people believe that Lot's tent was first pitched, here. And these were the cities of the plain, among them Sodom and Gomorrah, okay? And three other big cities, now, these cities were really wealthy, really wealthy cities. Down along here was a lot of mining was going on for copper and some precious metals, and also these tar pits where they could take and use for oil and burning and all. So they, they grew quite wealthy. So for somebody that's motivated by prosperity and material things, this is perfect. Lot would come down here. He could have this whole lush land for himself to, to graze his livestock, and yet he could make some um, relationships, build relationships with the men of, of these wealthy cities and he could prosper, you know? Never mind that they were known for their wickedness and sinfulness against God. You know, I mean, we can put up with a little evil to make a buck, huh? That's the way of the world. Just compromise a little bit. But as followers of Christ, we believe that the Lord God is the author and the giver of life. And so if he created life, he knows best how to live it. And so that's why we call on the name of the Lord. We use our, our minds and wills that he's given us and we lift them up to God on a daily basis saying, this is what I plan to do. You think this is good. So let me see any red flags. But we're, we're inviting God into our life constantly. When we pretend as if God doesn't exist, even though we may believe in him, and we walk away from him, and we don't invite him into the decisions of our life, we can set ourselves up for a world of hurt. There are two really great warnings that would be familiar to a lot of us in Proverbs. And the first one is Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him, and he will direct your paths. Doesn't mean you don't have wisdom. It means just don't trust in your wisdom alone. The next one is Proverbs 14, 12. It says, there is a way that appears right. It appears right, but in the end, it leads to death. And this verse, most scholars believe, has more to do with someone who is moving in a direction that they know is probably not right. But man, it appears so good. So this person can use a lot of rationalization, you know? From a business standpoint, that, that looks great. 
made all the sense in the world for his prosperity. Moved down there at the best plains and next to those cities who are prospering. It makes all the sense. It appears so good, so right. We rationalize things away. But the scripture tells us it, there's a way that appears right, but in the end, it's death. And a lot of us who leave God out of our decision making, sooner or later we experience that death, death of a relationship, a friendship, a marriage, the death of a business. Sooner or later it catches up to us. As it would Lot. Well, the two men made their choices and there are consequences for those choices. In Abram's case, if he had any doubt about his decision, it went away when God appeared to him and renewed his promise for the third time. The Lord says in verse 14, he said to Abram, after Lot had parted from him, look around from where you are to the north and the south and to the east and to the west. All the land that you see, I will give to you and your offspring forever. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth. So if anyone could count the dust, then your offspring could be counted. Go walk the length and the breadth of the land, for that is what I am giving to you. And the chapter ends with Abram moving down to a city called Hebron. And what do you think he did there? Built an altar. <laughs> Built an altar, called on the name of the Lord. That was who he was. Well, what about Lot? Did he prosper? Actually, yeah. For a good while, there's every reason to believe he did quite well for himself. See, when you leave God out of your life, it doesn't mean that all of a sudden everything's going to crater. Lots of times things can go appear to go really well. But sooner or later, decisions apart from God will catch up to you. And they caught up with Lot big time. The rest of this story begins in chapter 14 and the first 16 verses. Now, for the sake of time this morning, I am, I'm not going to uh, read through those verses or anything. I just want to give you the Reader's Digest version, hit the highlights so you know what happened. So to do this, let's get our map back up here. And so these are the cities we talked about, right? This is the plains. This is where Lot's tent was. And I told you that these were quite wealthy. Uh, all these cities were wealthy. Well, for 12 years, those cities down here, Sodom, Gomorrah, and the other ones, they paid a tribute to a Mesopotamian king, Babylon, very powerful man. They paid tribute to him for 12 years. Well, in the 13th year, they decided, nah, we had enough of this. We're not doing this anymore. So in the 14th year, that Mesopotamian king there in Babylon, he came after him. He grabbed three other kings, all the, called the northern kings, these four, and they headed down south. Next map. They headed down south on a conquest. They started up here, and they marched down through here just conquering all of these cities. They came all the way down as far as Elah. Then they came up here toward Kadesh Barnea, and then they turned and headed straight toward the cities of the plain. The cities of the plain, Sodom, Gomorrah, and these guys said, well, wait, we have five cities. And when you say kings, it was more like the mayor. So the mayor of Sodom, the mayor, or the king of Sodom, king of Gomorrah, said, we, we got five kings. They got four. We can take them. So they go out here in this plain, and they get slaughtered. 
Half of their men fell into the tar pits that were down here. The other half headed for the hills. Bad news. They got crushed. And here is what happened to them. They meet in the valley of Sidon. They got crushed. The result is that the four kings seized all the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their food. Then they went away. And they also carried away Abraham's nephew Lot and his possessions since he was living in Sodom. Living in Sodom. You know, it's a slippery slope when you move down and you pitch your tent next to evil, right? You start making some little compromises. See, when we get close to evil and we start compromising in our life, and then one compromise leads to another one, and then to another one, and finally we wake up one day and we're right in the middle of it. We're not just near it, we're in the middle of it. And I am sure on this long trek north, with all these, with his conquerors, Lot must have thought more than once, what did I do? What am I doing here? He's captured He's, he's moving, he, he's, all of his possessions, all of his women, all that he has is being captured and led up north. And he's thinking, I never should have made that decision. What am I, what in the world was I thinking? And I tell you, some of the biggest mistakes in my life was the same thing. Same thing. I would ask myself, wow, what was I thinking? I should have never been there. There was one time, yeah, right, like I'm gonna share with you the biggest failures in my life? I don't think so. <laughs> We're running out of time, we gotta go on. So, so here's what happens. Back to our map. Um, they come up this way, they start to head north. Now, one of the survivors down here, a Macalite, he finds Abraham uh, and he tells them what had happened. So as they pass right by Hebron, where Abram is, Abram grabs 318 of his trained men, he falls in behind them and he starts to pursue them. Because you know what? Lot was family. He may disagree with Lot. He may disagree with his lifestyle, the choices he was making, the compromise he, he, he was making, but he loved him and he was family. So many times I think it's so sad when I talk to people that have had their friends or members of their family walk away from the faith and they just cut them off. That's it. And that's really sad to me. Because we can communicate to our friends and to our family members that, that I, don't, I don't believe that what you're doing is right because of my Christian worldview and the God that I serve, okay? I believe that that's wrong, but I love you. I won't go do with you what you do, but I love you. When you come to my house and stay with me, you can't do those things, but I love you and you're welcome anytime. Isn't that what God does? Hate the sin, but love the sinner. Jesus Christ said, I didn't come to judge the world, it's already judged. I came to save it. People will never return to those that judge and condemn them. People return to those with their arms wide open. Don't agree with what you're doing, but I love you. That's what we need to be all about. Much more.
could be said about that. But Abram, he, changed, he, he chases those guys, chases them all the way up north, gets up here to Dan. He completely wipes them out. And here's what happens. He recovered all the goods and brought back his relative lot and his possessions and together with the women and all the other people. So Lot gets a second chance. We have a God of second chances. Lot saved. But spoiler alert, he doesn't learn his lesson. <laughs> we'll find that out in the chapters that are to come before us. Um, but for this morning, we need to close. Uh, next week, we'll find out there are some really amazing things that happen on uh, Abram's return with Lot. He meets a very interesting, some very interesting people. And Jason Sabowski will be taking it up there and letting us know uh, all about that and what happens there. So you don't want to miss next Sunday, okay? But right now, I, uh, you may be here this morning and we, you hear us talking about all these promises of God and, and you're not even, you don't know hardly what any of those are. And, sure, and maybe you're just not even sure about this whole God of creation and all that. But maybe you're to a point also where you say, you know what? I want to believe in those promises. Well, here's a promise for you. One of many. Familiar to many of us. God so loved the world, and that's you, that he gave his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Now, that's a promise you can believe in. That Jesus Christ died to save sinners, forgive you of your sins, and give you eternal life. That's a promise from God, repeated again and again throughout Scripture. So if you're here this morning or sitting at home and you want to say, you know what, I, I, I'd like that promise. All you have to do, I'm going to pray with you right now, pray for you, and you can just pray along with me, and then I'll close all of us in prayer, okay? So let's pray. If you're if you're looking to that promise to believe in of eternal life and forgiveness in Jesus Christ, you can say this. You can just simply say, Jesus, I believe that you are God's son and that you came and died on the cross to forgive me of my sins. I believe that. And I want to accept that as truth right now. I know I'm imperfect. I know that I'm a, a sinner and I do bad things from time to time. And I just, I want to trust you for your forgiveness. And I want to follow you make you my God and my Savior, and I want to have eternal life. And if you've prayed that prayer, my friend, whoever you are, that's a promise you can now believe forever. Heavenly Father, I pray for all the rest of us here as we gather together that, when we, that we would find ourselves in the middle of a crisis or a conflict, that we would call on you, Lord, and that our character and our decisions would reflect the faith that we have in you, Lord God, the God that loves us. We ask this, Father, in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's continue as we worship. <laughs>